Hello and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 162. I am your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and with me is my co-host and nemesis, Pete Mashad. Need a hug? I might, Pete. I might. I've had kind of a rough week. Things haven't gone as planned recently, but nonetheless, we are back and we're here to talk about what is going on in the world of Nintendo. So, of course, that means we have some game impressions, we have some news, and then we have our big topic for the week, which is the coolest-looking Nintendo systems. Yeah, so we might even have some lawn lawn milk. And we might have some hugs. (laughs) However, before we get to that, let's kick things off with the game impressions, starting with a recently released Switch title, New Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe. Ah, yeah, you picked that up? I did. I did indeed. And despite having quite a mouthful of a title and perhaps one of the worst titles ever, the game is still a whole lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it really is a mouthful. Yeah, I mean, the game's not on Wii U anymore, guys. You can ditch that U in the title, you know? <laughs> anyway, regardless, it's still Super Mario Brothers. It is still a excellent platformer. The nonlinear overworld still makes it one of the most satisfying new Super Mario experiences yet. And of course, you know, the action is great with a wide variety of power-ups and abilities and stages set across fields and caves and swamps and snow stages and lava stages and castles and ghost houses and <laughs> other traditional Mario environments. Uh, yeah, there's a few. <laughs> yes. And of course, it is still just a whole lot of fun to play, whether you're playing solo or you're playing co-op. You know, one thing that did sort of occur to me this time is that I kind of think that the developers of the new Super Mario Brothers games might need to rethink the timer. <laughs> oh yeah, how's that? Well, I mean, back in the old days with Super Mario Brothers 1 and 3 and Super Mario World, there were only like a couple of secrets in each level, and so you were really only finding the timer to get to the end of the stage. But now there's, you know, like secrets everywhere. There's, you know, things <laughs> hidden behind fake walls and, you know, so many pipes that lead to secret places and things like that. It really feels just as focused on exploration as just on platforming in some ways. Mm. And so, like, pretty much every time I play through a stage, I start running out of time. Like, I get, like, you know, three quarters of the way through and suddenly that music starts playing. You know, da 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 I'm like, oh, crap, I spent too much time trying to find the hidden coins. Now I have to, like, just run through the whole, you know, last uh, 25% of the level as fast as I can so I can make it to the end. So. No, you're one of those guys where I'm like, hey, come on, hurry up. <laughs> well, yes, when I'm playing by myself, yes, I'm just kind of, you know, <laughs> looking around trying to find all the secret hidden stuff. I'm just saying when they promote exploration so much, maybe they should figure out a way to uh, you know, make the timer work more in their favor. Yeah. You know what I call that? I call that a burn every bush guy. <laughs> yeah, you know, obviously a throwback to uh, Zelda 1. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm not burning every bush, but I'm certainly taking my time as I go through the levels. No, I feel you. It's, it's important. You, you want to know what's out there. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, there are new additions to the game, not the least of which is the inclusion of Toadette and Peachette. Hmm. And of course, Nabbit, right? Yes, he is in there too, as a playable character. And it's nice that they're all in there. I did, of course, want to try out these new characters because that's you know kind of the new content. It's one of the exciting new prospects of playing through this game again. And I guess these characters are fine for newcomers or beginners, but they just don't feel quite as satisfying to play as Mario and the regular characters. Like, I just found that Toadette, and, you know, after she powers up into Peachette, is just kind of sluggish. Mm. And sure, she can glide, she can do a really cool double jump. And 
I think that being slower might be fine for beginners, but if you are an experienced player, you will probably not necessarily find the trade-off worth it. Hmm. And likewise, you know, Nabbit is totally invincible, but he can't actually acquire and use power-ups. You know, he can't use the ice flower, can't use the fire flower, but, you know, he has a flutter jump and he has invincibility. So if you are a newbie to the game, then again, it is, you know, very useful in that respect. But again, just a whole lot less satisfying if you are familiar with New Super Mario Brothers. And I guess that's the way it probably should be. Sure. And when uh, Nabbit jumps off the level, can he just float back up in a bubble? Uh, I don't know. I have no. <laughs> not uh, tried jumping into the abyss as Nabbit. I did play as the new characters, but I did not try uh, committing suicide as Nabbit. Mm, I'm sorry no. to inform you. No. I'm not sure. All right. Just curious. I mean, he does have lives, so my guess is that you would have to start over from a checkpoint, but I guess I don't really know. Okay. Fair. Of course, in addition to regular old New Super Mario Brothers U mode, uh, Super <laughs> Luigi U is in here. Uh, that's a lot of U. Yes, yes it is. Again, worst naming ever, possibly. <laughs> but it turns out I've never actually played Super Luigi U before, and this was a great time for me to check it out. And for the uninitiated, it offers remixed levels and a very, very severe timer. You know, speaking of uh, timers in the game, <laughs> with uh, Luigi, when you're playing in this mode, you have to hustle and get through there. Because, like, on the first stage, you only have, like, 100 clicks on the timer. Right. And you got to get out of there. I think there are ways to earn more time, but mm -hmm. mostly you are hustling as much as possible to get through these stages. Right. But that is sort of the, the gameplay they're trying to encourage, though, right? Like, you're trying to beat the level in a certain amount of time, which adds some element of challenge. Well, the whole point of Super Luigi U is it's tougher and more challenging. I guess I just didn't realize how much ah. of a factor the timer was going to be in that uh, regard. But yes, the whole thing is meant to be super challenging. It's gotcha. basically you know, like the Japanese Super Mario Brothers 2. It's the game for super players after you've played through the original. It's like, okay, here's something if you want something that's really extra tough. Yeah, I did play a little bit of it on Wii U, but uh, yeah, not the uh, Switch version. But the weird thing is that... Even when you're playing Super Luigi U, you can still play as Toadette or Nabbit if you want, <laughs> which you know sort of flies in the face of the whole let's make the super challenging sort of thing. You can just run through as Nabbit and be invincible and be like, wee, I'm just, just dashing through this game. <laughs> so I don't really know why that option's in there for Super <laughs> Luigi U, but you know, whatever, it's there. Maybe you can uh, you know, try it on for size with Nabbit and then get better. Yeah, I suppose so. And if you do choose to play through a level as Nabbit, you get a purple indicator on the level showing that you, uh, you know, kind of cheated to get your way through there. <laughs> it doesn't change to the normal color that it wow. usually does. So that'll remind you to go back and perhaps play through it the proper way. Wow. What a, what a scarlet letter. <laughs> yeah, in a sense. <laughs> I do wish that I could, you know, reconfigure some aspects of the games, though. Like, I'd like to be able to use the L and ZL buttons for doing some of the advanced maneuvers instead of the R and ZR buttons, mm -hmm. but that's just not something you can change. And also, I was kind of hoping that in this version for Switch, you would be able to save the game after every level, which was actually an unlockable feature in the Wii U game. But uh, no, they have not changed that this time around. It's still, you can only save after every castle or fortress and basically you know, every five levels until you've actually beaten the game. Then I believe you can just save pretty much whenever you want. So that just kind of would have been a nice addition for a game that you can play you know, portably like this. Yeah, that, uh, that seems like a huge oversight. 
I mean, there's still a quick save, but for me, that's never really good enough. It's like, I feel if I'm going to play, I have to do a real authentic save. And so it's like, okay, I know I have to sit down and play like a five level stretch here. And if I don't have the time for that, just like, okay, well, I guess I'll turn off the game and come back to it later or something. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Maybe I'm just a little bit wacky like that. (laughs) No comment. Anyway, it's very familiar territory, but it's definitely good stuff here. Um, you certainly cannot go wrong with a new Super Mario Brothers game. On the other hand, it's really not that essential if you already had it previously. But nonetheless, it's a very solid game to get. And if I were rating it on a Nintendo Power scale, I'd probably give it like an 8 or an 8.5. Uh, so you're basically saying that if you already own these on Wii U, it might not be worth owning on Switch? Uh, yeah, if you've had them already and you've played through them and you're not necessarily dying to do it all over again right away, it might be wise to hold off and you know maybe wait for a sale or something like that. Yeah, I think for me that's the big barrier. The $60 price point is just, just a little too high for me. It's a little steep, yeah. I am looking forward to purchasing these when they do drop in price, however. Yeah, I mean, if you have them already, it's certainly not an essential buy. Yeah, good way to put it. And the other game I've been playing that's also a remake of a previously released title is Mario & Luigi Bowser's Inside Story plus Bowser Jr.'s Journey on Nintendo 3DS. Oh, cool. Uh, how are you enjoying this? I'm actually liking it a whole bunch. And I say that as somebody who really did not play that much of the game on Nintendo DS. Mm. I did pick it up. I did try it for a little bit. But for whatever reason, I got distracted by other things. And I never really put that much time into it. And now I'm discovering it again on 3DS, and I'm like, wow, I really missed out. This game is really fantastic. I made a mistake by not playing all the way through it when it was on DS, and now I have a chance to correct that. Oh, cool. Yeah, I, I don't think I played all the way through it on the uh, on the DS either, but uh, I did enjoy the parts that I did play. Yeah, it's you know got uh, fun characters, it's got a fun story, Fawful is back, and this time he has brought a plague with him that causes... Uh, some characters to balloon up to gigantic roly-poly proportions, <laughs> and has also caused Mario and Luigi and pretty much the rest of Princess Peach's entourage to get shrunken down and swallowed by Bowser. <laughs> and wacky hijinks ensue. Yes, yes they do. So <laughs> you play as Mario and Luigi inside Bowser's body, and then you play as Bowser exploring the overworld, and as you'd expect, it is indeed very entertaining, and for a long time, I have wanted to play just a solo Bowser game, and that hasn't happened yet, but this is certainly the next best thing, because Bowser has his own moves and his own powers, and he can even suck enemies inside his body, and so then Mario and Luigi can continue the fight from inside his gizzards, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just a whole lot of uh, entertaining fun in that way. I thought you'd never say gizzards. <laughs> We'll do a whole big topic on Gizzards next week if you want. <laughs> uh, the enhanced graphics, you know, they're fine. I can't really say they look a whole lot better than the original, but I do think they would have been better if they'd been in 3D. Like, all the stuff inside Bowser's body is pretty much a uh, 2D environment. It's like, you know, 2D platforming. And I think having that in stereoscopic 3D, where there's like a sense of depth to the levels, I think that really would have been beneficial, but they did not do anything like that. So I feel like that's kind of a missed opportunity. Yeah, that really does. I mean, you'd think that's kind of what you'd get. Yeah, that would be nice on a 3DS remake of a game that just came out the previous generation, but uh, nope, no such luck. Anyway, that aside, 
I am really digging this so far. I hope to be able to spend a lot more time with it because it is very, very entertaining. And I can certainly see why a lot of people have called this the best Mario and Luigi game made so far. Because, yeah, it is a whole lot of fun. Yeah, I'm slightly disappointed that this didn't come out for Switch. I mean, I know why it didn't, and it's great that the 3DS <laughs> yeah. is getting uh, you know some love. But uh, yeah, I think I would have probably picked this one up if it did come out for Switch. Well, given the dual screen nature of the game, I think that would have been really, really hard to do. Sure. So I certainly see why they opted for a 3DS instead, but uh, I can certainly see your point as well. You know, but beyond the regular main game, there's also this new Bowser Jr.'s Journey mode, and I haven't played a ton of that yet, but so far it seems an awful lot like the Bowser's Minions mode from the remake of Superstar Saga that came out a little more than a year ago. Yeah, I read a little bit of like, I don't know, some sort of developer interview about, you know, they wanted to give Bowser Jr. some backstory, which I thought was kind of cool. Well, I mean, maybe it ends up that way. So far, he's a pretty annoying character. <laughs> like, the gameplay is the same as Bowser's minions, but we've got Bowser Jr. as the star, and he is much less likable than the Goombas or Koopas from uh, Bowser's minions. And it's just the series of battles, and a lot of the way the battles work is kind of automatic. I mean, you kind of have to press buttons for some key moves and things, but a lot of it is just not really that interactive. So I just felt like it was kind of retreading the same ground as Bowser's Minions. I don't really need more of this. And it has Bowser Jr., who, again, as I said, is just not the most likable character. So, yeah, I kind of don't feel like I needed to play through another very, very similar mode, and I'm finding Bowser Jr.'s journey to be kind of meh. <laughs> a lot like Donkey Kong Jr.? Uh, probably worse than Donkey Kong Jr. <laughs> uh, I should also mention another new addition to the game is that it does have add functionality with Amiibo. Amiibo! Oh, and how does that work? Well, you just scan the Amiibo from the title screen, and when you do that with the specified amiibo, you get items such as mushrooms for restoring your HP and syrup for restoring your MP. And you can just get these items by using the specified amiibo once per day. So you don't get any cool equipment or exclusive gear or anything. And it's kind of more trouble than it's worth, to be honest. Mm, I see. So again, that's another feature that I just feel like is kind of underdone. Nothing special. There should have been more here. And really... Really, if you think about it, this would have been the perfect opportunity for a Fawful Amiibo. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And the Mustard of Your Doom. <laughs> yes, that would have been a special accessory. <laughs> so, yeah, in some ways, I feel like they kind of missed some opportunities here. I think that Bowser Jr.'s journey could have been better. I think the Amiibo functionality could have been better. But overall, I think this game is fantastic. It is an absolute must-have if you did not play the original the new additions, like I said, they're kind of lackluster, but the game overall is fantastic. If you don't have it on DS, you should absolutely play it. Don't miss out. All right. So, Pete, while I've been playing these, is there anything that you've been playing on Switch? Uh, yeah, actually. Um, just recently, I picked up uh, Onimusha Warlords. Oh, excellent. I picked that up as well. But... As I understand it, you have not played this game in any form previously, is that right? Yeah, I'm a Onimusha newbie. All right, so uh, what are you thinking about this game so far? <laughs> well, I actually really, really enjoyed this game. And part of me kind of wonders why. I, I'm not a, not 100% sure what like was so appealing about it, but I, I ended up playing it so much I actually beat it. 
Oh, nice, nice. Well, you are a lot further in the game than I am. But, I mean, you know, I like it, too. I liked it back in the day, and I like it now. And to me, it just resonates because it is a fun mashup of samurai action and, you know, Resident Evil-style <laughs> horror and exploration. You know, there's plenty of hack-and-slash combat. There's a variety of weapons and magic. There are upgrades to find to expand your health and your MP. And you can also collect enemy souls to upgrade your weapons and magic. And, uh, you know, there are plenty of other items to find as well. And uh, I just thought all that stuff, you know, clicked together to form a very unique kind of game. Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, everything you said is is completely accurate. And, you know, I did think that, like, there was parts where I was like, you know, this game isn't necessarily, like, up to snuff of, like, current games. But at the same time, That's true. there really is something compelling about it. There's... You know, it's kind of got the, as you mentioned, kind of the hints of being built on sort of the Resident Evil engine or whatever it was. It's very similar in the way it's the game is kind of built and constructed. Mm -hmm. The controls kind of have hints of the tank control from the original Resident Evils, but then... Well, I mean, it has both kinds. If you play with the stick, you have, you know, direct directional controls. And if you play with the uh, directional buttons or the control pad on the Pro Controller, you do get those tank controls if you want them. Yeah, but I, I feel like their, uh, their upgrade to the uh, analog controls are, are much better than, <laughs> than the old school tank program. Yeah, that's what I found myself using almost the entire time. Yeah, and uh, every now and then you might run into like some weird snafu where like you'll run around a corner and then like <laughs> you're like, wait a minute. Yes. And uh, your character will kind of like glitch out. But that never seemed to happen to me when I was actually in combat. It always seemed to happen when I was just like dinking around, taking my time. Really? Because I actually did encounter that, you know, especially during like the first boss battle. I was like trying to stay <laughs> away from him. And then I would suddenly turn a corner and it would change scenes. And I'd be like going the wrong direction. And, you know, things like that just reminded me that, yes, this is indeed a port of a 15 year old game. <laughs> yeah. It's not a remake. It is basically just a port. And so, yeah, it has these pre-rendered backgrounds that, you know, visually surprising. I thought the backgrounds actually held up pretty well. They look still pretty great. Yeah, they really do. And um, at no point did I really go like, uh, you know, I, I don't know what I'm playing here, but <laughs> like there are moments where you're like, oh, this game actually does look pretty good and holds up pretty well. It does. It does indeed. And, you know, the character models are up but they haven't really been improved as far as, you know, their architecture goes. So on occasion, you'd see a little bit of jankiness. Sure. But, you know, overall, it does look, you know, very, very decent. But where I was going was, you know, despite the fact that a lot of the stuff does hold up, these static scenes you get and these <laughs> awkward camera cuts from one static background to the other could kind of get annoying. And especially in that first boss fight, that was where I was having some issues with it. But I think those issues are sort of few and far between. And for the most part, it does indeed hold up very well. You know, what's funny to me was that this game kind of, the thing that it really reminded me of the most now is like a, um, almost like a B Kung Fu movie or, or <laughs> like a low budget horror movie set in like feudal Japan. Well, I certainly know why you're saying kind of like a low budget Kung Fu movie, because if you are playing with the English voices on. <laughs> yeah, it's got that whole hilarious, you know, words don't match the mouth movement yep. sort of thing. And the voice acting, that's the other thing that does not hold up. It is pretty darn hilariously terrible. Right. Well, that and then there's like these like characters that just spring out of nowhere. And like, I think what's different the most to me about this from Resident Evil is that the characters respawn often. Mm. So you'll go back into a room that you were just in and there's like, it's riddled with enemies again. 
And, I mean, uh, that's kind of okay, though, because you don't have to worry about running out of ammunition. And it's great because you actually want to stock up on enemy souls so you can power up your weapons totally. and magic. So it works. It yeah. makes sense in this context. Yeah, the, the mechanic was great. And I also thought, um, you know, just the idea of like, kind of, you're almost like grinding out levels with uh, some of the weapons and some of the uh, orbs, mm-hmm. as you mentioned. But yeah, in general, you know, I kind of thought like, wow, I didn't realize the mechanics of a game like this existed back then. Because mm-hmm. I feel like this is kind of a popular thing now. Like it almost kind of reminded me in some ways of Hollow Knight, like the ability to kind of like replenish your life, but you kind of have to like die a little to maybe get more life. And I don't know. There was there was just some parallels I saw. Okay. But I guess the important thing is you are definitely enjoying it. Yeah. Or did enjoy it. It's all the way through. Yeah, yeah, I did. And, uh, you know, it's not super long. I think you can definitely beat it under 10 hours if you're hustling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe even like half of that. Yeah, I, I think I was probably closer to five. But, you know, in general, I, I just found it really compelling. I thought it was a fun game. And for $20, I just was like, yeah, this is a no-brainer. Yeah, I tend to agree. I'm only about halfway through. I haven't played through this game since like it first came out. So a lot of it is, you know, very much, oh, yeah, I don't remember this at all. Or, oh, I kind of remember this. <laughs> so in a lot of ways, it's kind of a new experience for me. And I'm definitely enjoying refreshing my memory on all the aspects of this game. But yeah, I really like it as well. Like I said, there are some uh, kind of uh, outdated and funny aspects to it. But uh, yeah, I have, I'm having a great time. <laughs> yeah, the English voiceovers are laughable. <laughs> yes. I'm actually going to post a couple things to Twitter, I think, after this, because uh, I captured some videos that were just like, <laughs> wouldn't let make me stop laughing. <laughs> Is one of those parts where the guy goes, ooh, a liver. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the the voice of the big bad is absolutely the worst. <laughs> yes, yes it is. The one other little word of warning I would like to give is that it is kind of a memory hog. It takes, I think, almost 10 gigs. Oh, yeah. And uh, so if you don't have that much space on your memory card, uh, you, you know, consider yourself warned. But that aside, I am very glad I picked this up for uh, only 20 bucks. Yeah, I was going to mention just a couple negatives. Uh, one thing that I realized was that, like, halfway through the game, I was still, like, switching over to the menu to find the map and look around. And then you have to pick which map it is, and you're not even sure which one which one you're currently using. And, uh, oh, really? Well, I realized later you can just click the left stick in, and uh, yeah, the that's what I was about to map say. of the current <laughs> area shows up. But, you know, unless you read the control menu, you, like... And that sounds easy, but I'm telling you, the control menu on this game was, like, overwhelming. When I first looked at it, I was like, forget it. <laughs> I actually kept hitting the thumbstick in by accident when I was trying to run away from oh. some enemies. So, yeah, I uh, kind of discovered it whether I wanted to or not. Well, then the other thing was just being able to switch between your weapons. You have to oh, be yeah, com- those are on the shoulder buttons. Yeah, but for some reason, you have to be completely stopped to switch. <laughs> Uh, okay. Which sometimes when you're in the middle of a boss fight and you're running around trying not to get whacked, it mm-hmm. is painful to have to like stop. Or like you're trying to dodge like a guy shooting arrows at you. Anyway, minor gripes, but overall the game's really good and I recommend it to anyone who hasn't played it. If they have enough memory card space. <laughs> yeah, buy an SD card. <laughs> okay, well, glad to hear you liked it. And I saw that you were playing a game recently, uh, something new? Well, yes. Speaking of uh, sword swing action, I have also been spending some time with Travis Strikes Again, No More Heroes. Ah, and uh, what are you thinking so far? It is a really weird game. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so true to Suda51 form. 
Yes, I mean, if you have seen the trailers, if you have played previous Suda 51 games, then you kind of should have expected that going in. I did expect it going in, but I've still been kind of blindsided by some of the strange weirdness in this game. <laughs> it is very self-aware, it is full of inside jokes mm. and breaking the fourth wall humor, and it's also got lots of gratuitous swearing and toilet jokes, I mean, literal toilet jokes. Yeah, don't you, like, save the game on the toilet per usual? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was uh, the way they did it in the old No More Heroes games. That is still the way you do it now. <laughs> and then on top of that, there's like, you know, weird guys selling you ramen in each stage for no particular reason. <laughs> and like dozens of shirts promoting other indie games. Like you can get a Hollow Knight shirt or an Undertale shirt or a Bit Trip Runner shirt <laughs> and, you know, tons of others. I don't really know why. It's a cool inclusion. But uh, yeah, just all kinds of uh, weird and unexpected stuff. Wow. As far as the action goes... It's a little bit basic. I mean, for the most part, the game is more or less a top-down action game where you're just running around, slicing fools up with your beam katana with weak attacks or maybe some strong attacks. You can also dodge and jump. And then on top of that, you gain an assortment of skills that all have a cooldown on them. So in a way, it's kind of like a trippy, vulgar, contemporary Diablo in a sense. <laughs> all right. The one main difference and kind of an annoyance to me is the fact that you do have to stop and recharge your beam katana after, you know, every, you know, X number of attacks. And that just seems really pointless and really interrupts the action. And I don't really see it would have been made a worse game by taking that out. So I kind of wish it wasn't there, hmm. but I guess it's not the end of the world. Uh, also, you do have your wrestling moves back. I mentioned an episode or two ago, I was hoping Travis still had his wrestling moves. Oh, yeah. And they are in there. They're like finishing moves for the bosses. After you have battled a boss and depleted his life meter, an on-screen prompt appears. And if you execute that prompt, then you perform some sort of devastating wrestling move on the boss just to finish him off. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't want a good pile driver to take out a boss? Or a belly-to-back suplex. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. Uh, speaking of which, you're getting one next time I see you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I'll have my steel chair at the ready. <laughs> now, as promised, the game does change things up between each level, and all the stages are inspired by these you know, supposed retro action games from the fictitious Death Drive Mark II console. <laughs> so the first stage is just pretty much a straightforward action game. Then the second stage is like a hybrid between survival horror and Pac-Man and a puzzle game in that <laughs> like you're in this top-down maze where you're being chased by a giant blue ghost that will kill you instantly apparently and while you're doing that you have to hit switches to rearrange the maze so you can get to the house at the end <laughs> and then after you do that you sort of explore the house to learn about all these grisly murders, and then you just continue to slice through bad guys just like you do in the first stage. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, like, just sort of pseudo-different levels. Yeah. And then in the third stage, it seems to be kind of RPG-inspired, mm. and, like, so far, I haven't gotten very far into that level yet, uh -huh. but, like, all the characters are suddenly very friendly and have different personalities, and I haven't really fought many enemies yet, and... I'm on a fetch quest to go get coffee and donuts so I can talk to the spirit of some dead guy. Oh, I mean, that just like sounds like a normal Suda 51 game. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that game, by the way, that you are playing through is in fact called Coffee and Donuts. Ah. Oh, and then in between these action stages, 
the levels are broken up by these visual novel scenes that kind of look like they're running on like an old Apple II or something. They're all monochromatic green. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, you have to sit through them and listen to all this stuff if you want to just get to the next action part. And again, it's very self-aware. It's like, why are you making the players listen to all this? This is so long and it just goes on forever. Don't you just want to get to the next action scene? It's going to drop your Metacritic score. Yeah, I feel like, you know, these games, they're all kind of got that uh, that meta game within a game sort of thing, or very self-aware, rather. Anyway, despite the fact that they mix it up with these different gameplay styles, other than the visual novel stuff, you know, it's all the same engine, so don't really expect any radical gameplay changes. Right. It's kind of fun to see them try to mix things up like that, but you know, overall... It is a very samey experience from level to level, and I'm not sure how much I'm really feeling it. The action, despite you know these little changes, it does seem kind of monotonous from area to area. And so as much as I like the weirdness of it all, as much as I like the oddball sense of humor, just going by the gameplay alone, it is kind of a hard recommendation. Hmm. Well, that's too bad. How much is this game? If you buy it digitally, you can get it for $30, I think. I picked up the physical version, which is $40, and it also includes the upcoming DLC. All right. But yeah, if I were going to rate this one on Nintendo Power Scale, you know, probably something like a 6 or a 6.5. Okay. That kind of gels with what I had in my head originally thinking about this game. I'm sorry to hear that it's not more of a a leap forward towards the next No More Heroes, but uh, sounds like it might still be worth a pickup for the person who's into this genre or developer. Or just into its wacky sense of humor. Yeah, I mean, it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination, but it's just not as great as uh, I would have liked. Yeah. Cool. All right, then. Uh, Moving along, then. Despite playing all these other games, I've also had a little bit of time to dabble with the latest NES releases on Nintendo Switch Online. Pete, have you had a chance to enjoy these as well? I did. I haven't played all of them, but uh, I've got into a few. Yeah, I spent a little bit of time with Blaster Master, which, you know, of course, for those who aren't familiar with it, is a non-linear side-view vehicle action and exploration game combined with top-down, on-foot action. And you have, you know, some Metroid-like stage progression with vehicle upgrades. And, of course, the timeless love story of a young man trying to save his pet frog. (laughs) Yeah, this is actually the one I haven't played yet. But, uh, you know, I remember playing it back in the day. Uh, How does it hold up? I mean, it's definitely still fun. It's definitely one of the all-time greats for the NES. I think this is a game that should have been on the NES Classic system. Yeah. And it wasn't. Right. So I am very glad to be able to play it here and be able to use uh, save states to get past some of the more challenging areas. Yeah, it's really interesting which games made that and which games are on Nintendo Switch Online. But, yeah. Well, it is indeed certainly still fun. Cool. I kind of can't wait to dive into it. Uh, Of course, another one of the new releases is Zelda II The Adventure of Link, which just so happens to be one of my all-time personal favorites. No, because you are a glutton for punishment? (laughs) Well, it's just always uh, sort of spoken to my interests. It certainly spoke to my interests back when it first came out, which is I wanted something that was side-scrolling and emphasized sword play and spells over the puzzles and item use of the original Zelda. So I really enjoyed it then, and I really still enjoy it now. Obviously, it's sort of the black sheep of the Zelda series, 
but uh, I have always greatly enjoyed it. Yeah, so when this new bundle just came out, the you know these games got released. I actually saw Zelda two, and I was like, you know what, I want to play this, and maybe, all right, maybe if I'm inspired enough, I will stick with it and beat it. This is actually the one Zelda game I have not beaten, uh-huh. and I still kind of have a shadow over my head for it. But yeah, so I've worked my way. I think I'm in the uh, I'm on my way to beating the second palace. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah, I mean, the last few times it was re-released, like on, I don't know, maybe 3DS or on NES Classic, I played about halfway through and didn't finish it. But you know, this is as good an excuse as any for me to replay one of my all-time NES favorites and uh, you know play through it again. And again, like with Blaster Master, being able to save at key points will certainly make the journey a little bit easier. Yeah, just quick side note. I saw somebody on Twitter say something about how Zelda 2 is more like you know, future RPGs than Zelda 1. And uh, I'd never really thought about it that way, but it's true. You know, Zelda 2 has a lot more similarities to kind of games that came after it than the original Zelda does, in my opinion. And so playing through it with that kind of in mind, that it's like, you know, you have this progression, you're able to level up, you're able to, like, advance your, you know, magic and sword skills. Mm -hmm. It is interesting, and it actually made me enjoy it a little bit more this time around. Well, cool. I'm glad to hear that. I do feel like it's a game that people really haven't given enough of a chance to, despite the fact that it was chosen by readers to be the best game of the year when it came out way back in the day. But uh, yeah, I hope that this gives more people to give it a chance. Totally. I'm really actually waiting for the SP version <laughs> where I can like just <laughs> run to Gan and kill him. Spoiler, Gan is not in this game. He's already dead. Well, he does oink at you when you die. He does. He does. But uh, yeah, you don't actually ever get to fight him otherwise. Man, major spoiler. But speaking of SP games, there were also two new SP releases. There is Ninja Gaiden SP, which starts you pretty much right before the final bosses of the game. Mm -hmm. And then Ghosts and Goblins SP, which starts you at basically the last stage of the game. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, immediately I booted up Ghosts and Goblins, not even sure what you got from the SP version. And it probably just kicked your butt entirely, Well, I wanted to see it, and uh, I don't think I've ever even seen that level. (laughs) And uh, yes, I probably spent about mm, 15 to 30 minutes trying to just get past, like, the first area, and I did not. Yeah, it is very, very hard. Basically, they're just throwing you to the wolves with that one. It is starting (laughs) you, like, you know, right in the toughest part of the game. It's like, oh, you're having trouble getting far into the game? Here, we'll just start you here and punish you completely. (laughs) Yeah, but there is something kind of interesting about it. Like, I I am going to go back to it. I am going to keep playing it because uh, I do want to see what the boss looks like. Like, I literally don't even think I know what the boss looks like at the end of the game. Well, I mean, I don't want to ruin anything for you, but I thought that having this inclusion was kind of pointless because there is a level select code for Ghosts and Goblins, and you could just punch that in with your controller and uh, warp straight to the final boss if you want. And, you know, how hard is it to publish that? I mean, they could publish it on their news channel and say, here's some tips and tricks for some existing (laughs) games. And you could just enter the level select code, which is, you know, like hold up and write and hit BBB a bunch of times. And (laughs) I don't remember it exactly. Look it up on GameFAQs, kids. Yeah, see, I don't even want to have to do that. But you enter that code. And you can go straight to the final boss. Of course, maybe this is already on the second quest because, you know, that's one of the tricks of Ghosts and Goblins. You have to play through the whole freaking game twice. No, so if if you actually read the description in the channel, I think you you hit like the X button or something while you're reading uh it. uh It tells you that even after you beat the boss, you have to play through it again if you want the real ending. 
So you're only on the first playthrough. Man, that is brutal. That is super brutal. And I was like, wait, that's that's like the most evil thing I've ever read. Yeah, at least they warn you. Yeah, wow. it's true. Crazy. Yeah, good times. Crazy. Ninja Gaiden, not quite as punishingly brutal, but still, even after you get past that first boss, that second guy, he's, he's quite a doozy. <laughs> yeah, I didn't play this one, but I did beat the original Ninja Gaiden back in the day. And yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I want to go fight him again and see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, basically, if you've never seen those last few cutscenes where uh, Ryu is reunited with spoiler, 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 you know, this will give you a chance to actually see it you know, live for yourself. <laughs> spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Indeed. So, yeah, despite the sort of unnecessariness of Ghosts and Goblins SP, I would say these are, again, you know, some great additions to the library, and they are you know, pretty much a bunch of my personal favorites this time out. So, uh, yeah, definitely good stuff. Yeah, keep them coming. Yeah, for sure. And that takes care of our impressions for this episode of the show. Why don't we move along to a little bit of news? Let's do it. So first up in the news, last week, the folks over at Warner had a presentation and announcements for Mortal Kombat 11. We now have some details on what that game is all about. Did you watch the presentation? I didn't, but I have read some of the aftermath. All right, so you know probably what you learned is that yes, it sure indeed is a you know traditional violent uh, 2D Mortal Kombat fighting game. Nothing too unexpected or out of the ordinary as far as MK goes, but is going to have 25 characters right out of the box, including returning favorites like Raiden and Scorpion, Sub Zero, Sonya Blade, Baraka, and uh, Scarlet, who I'm actually not familiar with at all. Yeah, me neither. But there are, of course, also new characters such as Geras. And he looks pretty freaking cool to me. He's like this big bald guy with a cool black and gold costume. And some of his moves seem very, very wrestling inspired. And then he has like sand powers. He's sort of like the sand Green Lantern. Like he creates hammers and spikes and anvils out of sand and uses them to smash his enemies. And they can also teleport through the sand and suck enemies into sand traps. He seems uh, pretty cool. Hey, go suck a sand trap. Yeah, you suck a sand trap. (laughs) Yeah, he's a pretty bad looking dude. Yeah, I like him. And then the other new character we know about is Kronika, who is called the Keeper of Time, and apparently she's the game's final boss. No word if she is playable, but I'd say there's a pretty good chance she is. Is that Kronika with a K, of course? Yes, it is. (laughs) Oh, Mortal Kombat, you never fail to deliver. (laughs) You know it. On top of plenty of characters, the game also has lots of customization options, including not only the moves, but you know you can customize your characters visually, like put different masks or spears on Scorpion, and customize the character intros, the victory screens, and even the fatalities. They also announced there are these new crushing blow moves, which are some super powerful attacks that can be unleashed only under specific circumstances, like you know perhaps if an enemy blocks a certain one of your moves. Cool. So I've heard the Switch version of Mortal Kombat 11 is actually going to be developed by Shiver Studios. Ah, okay. I uh, was unaware that it was being outsourced, but I suppose that kind of makes sense. Do you know what they have done before? Yeah, these guys have worked on Scribblenauts titles, such as like Scribblenauts Showdown. Ah, Showdown. That was the one that uh, was not really that well received and kind of uh, 
you know, was discounted almost immediately. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of raises a few red flags. Also raises some red flags that while it was announced that there would be a $100 premium edition of the game and a $300 collector's edition of the game, which includes a life-sized scorpion mask, <laughs> neither of those are coming to Switch. Mm. So between the fact that it's having a different developer and not necessarily a developer with a stellar track record and the fact that it's not getting the special editions i'm a little bit worried about this one i gotta say all right all right i'll uh, i'll join you in that wait and see approach yeah i kind of feel like it's our only choice for now now if scorpion's mask was also had amiibo functionality would you consider picking it up <laughs> don't even suggest it or they'll <laughs> probably do that okay Shh. anyway let us move along to some indie titles that were recently on display from a video from Nintendo of Europe. There were a whole bunch of new games shown off there. Yeah, there was a bunch. Uh, How are we going to get through this in time? (laughs) Well, quickly. (laughs) All right, here we go. Well, certainly I think the highlight of the presentation was SteamWorld Quest, Hand of Gilgamesh, which is an RPG with these card-based battles. You'll get to fight dragons and slimes and knights and robo-ogres and mechanical turtles, and you'll be able to choose from more than 100 different cards that cover physical attacks and spells and defense and status effects as you take your team of three into battle against the enemy. Yeah, this one looks pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it is part of the SteamWorld series. It's from Imogen Form, and, you know, that's always had a very colorful pleasing aesthetic and a unique steampunk feel and all this stuff seems to be continuing onward but now in a way we didn't expect as a card-based rpg yeah now i don't like my card-based rpgs but uh well i'm willing to give this one a shot yeah i mean certainly if there was one to give a shot to i think it would be one from this developer this one looks pretty cool to me supposed to be coming out sometime this year In addition to that, they announced a trio of games that were revealed and announced as being available now. And those are Unruly Heroes, which is this very modern-looking action platformer with a colorful Rayman vibe. Goat Simulator, (laughs) which, yes, it is an open-world game where you play as a goat and other animals and do weird stuff like flying a jetpack and (laughs) drive a car. It just looks absolutely ridiculous. Only if it was Chicken Simulator, I feel like you'd pick it up. Uh, There could be a playable chicken. I don't know. And then there's When Ski Lifts Go Wrong, which is a <laughs> physics-based puzzler, which is somewhat like World of Goo and Polybridge. Did any of these three catch your eye? You plan to get any of these? Uh, I'm not so sure. I might kind of see how the reviews look on some of these. When Ski Lifts Go Wrong did maybe have the most appeal to me. Goat Simulator definitely looks very weird, but you know, I remember hearing that sort of the appeal of that game is that a lot of it is janky and broken. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if that's something that was, you know, fixed as it was poured to other platforms or as it evolved out of beta or what. But uh, if that really is still, you know, kind of the selling points, like maybe that's not my kind of thing. I guess we'll see. (laughs) We shall see indeed. I've also heard very good things about Unruly Heroes. Looking at the video didn't really excite me that much. But uh, if it's as good as I've heard from uh, people online, I might have to check that one out. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. As for stuff that's coming a little bit further down the road, one that definitely caught my eye was a Double Kick Heroes, which is basically a rhythm game, but with this crazy 16-bit pixel art aesthetic that has you blasting ghosts and monsters and dinosaurs from the back of your car while you are hitting buttons in sync with the beat. It looks absolutely ridiculous. 
Yeah, it does. This one captured my attention, too. It looks like it could be a ton of fun. Yeah, it could be. I mean, if it is as fun to play as it is to look at, this could definitely be a keeper. It is supposed to be out this summer. A couple of the other games that were shown were Forager, which is a little bit Zelda-y and a little bit Harvest Moony as you are, you know, <laughs> fighting enemies and collecting all sorts of materials. There's a game called Inmost, which is this dark, artsy puzzle platformer, very monochromatic and moody looking. Yep. And then there's CrossCode, which is this uh, crazy-looking, very chaotic, 16-bit-style action RPG. Did any of those uh, float your boat or your goat? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they all look like they could definitely be promising. I think of that group, maybe CrossCode just had the most appeal to me because it kind of had notes of maybe like a Secret of Mana-type gameplay. Yeah, I would certainly be up for a game that uh, took inspiration from Secret of Mana, that's for sure. Uh, but then, on top of that, we also finally have a release date for Wargroove. It is going to be coming out pretty soon, on February 1st. Yeah, it's next Friday. Yes, it is. And I know you've been looking forward to that for a long time, and I'm certainly intrigued by it. I think a lot of people are looking forward to it, too. So, yeah, that is great. We'll finally be able to play it very soon. Hopefully it lives up to the hype. And then, on top of that, they also gave out a release date for a game I kind of forgot about called Away, Journey to the Unexpected. It is coming out on February 7th, and though I don't remember a whole lot about that game because it was announced so long ago, <laughs> I do remember it looked very, very graphically impressive, and uh, if it plays as good as it looks, uh, we could be in for a treat with that one. Yeah, it definitely has some appeal. Curious to see how that shapes up. So yes, once again, we'll have a embarrassment of riches to look forward to when it comes to indies on Switch. My wallet hurts already. <laughs> well then, perhaps you might want to save... A few bucks, Pete, by picking up some of the new Nintendo Select titles for Nintendo 3DS. <laughs> nice segue. <laughs> yes, there are three new titles that are now down to only $20 in the USA for your 3DS. Those being Super Mario Maker, The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask 3D, and Star Fox 64 3D. Boy, the Star Fox 64 3D, I already thought it was, but uh, <laughs> that game's pretty old now. Yeah, it came out quite a while ago. I mean, Nintendo Power still existed when that one came out. So, yeah, I'm kind of surprised it wasn't discounted already. But, uh, hey, better late than never, I guess. Yeah, these games, uh, you know, make perfect sense to be on the uh, Selects line. And, you know, if you haven't got them, now's a perfect chance to get one. Mm -hmm. I mean, Super Mario Maker, I think, is a little bit of a hard sell since it doesn't have the online level sharing functionality that's right that the wii u version of the game does but still you know just for being able to make your levels and be able to play a ton of new original levels it still is probably worth getting for a mere 20 bucks i mean my top pick out of these three would definitely be the legend of zelda majora's mask 3d but uh yeah unsurprisingly these are all pretty darn good games that would be great additions to your library if you don't already have them now, that's not as good as the deal you saw at Target where they were selling Link Between Worlds for $5, but uh, this will do. <laughs> yeah, all their 3DS selects were on sale for $5 a couple weeks ago, and this isn't as good as that, but it's probably the next best thing. <laughs> One last thing before we wrap up the news. Right after we recorded the last episode, Nintendo and Square announced release dates for Final Fantasy X and X-2 and Final Fantasy XII. They are both due in April, on April 16th and 30th respectively, so I hope you have some time on your hands. And with that news out of the way, let us move along to some listener mail. This first letter comes from our fan Joey T, who this time writes... 
Call me possessed because I can't get enough of all of the spirits in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Literally. I got all 1,302 of them and I need more. <laughs> a certain category of spirits I would like to see added is the hardware. Let's get a Super Nintendo Spirit and a Game Boy Color one, too. I think it would be cool to enhance a Game Boy Advance into a Game Boy Advance SP Spirit, and it would be interesting to see what powers they would have. If you guys could choose five hardware spirits and two of them have to be able to be enhanced into two more <laughs> selections, what would those seven spirits be, and how many stars would you give each? You can include accessories like the Zapper or the Wavebird controller. P.S. The hardware has actually appeared in games such as Pokemon and Animal Crossing. <laughs> Joey T, you are possessed. <laughs> and he has certainly a very specific question for us, doesn't he? Yeah, and it's, it's funny how relevant it is for this episode. <laughs> that's true, that's true. But it's really a great idea. I mean, why not? The balance board is in there as a spirit, yeah. so why not bring in other Nintendo hardware? Like you said, you know, Zapper and Control. And Rob's a playable character, and he was a freaking piece of hardware. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't see any reason to exclude the other bits of Nintendo hardware. Yep, I agree. And I do have an answer for him. If I could pick just five, or you know, seven, including the enhanced ones, I would include the Virtual Boy. That only gets one star. <laughs> uh, for two stars, I give the NES Max controller. Also two stars is the Game Boy. And then you'd be able to enhance that to the Game Boy from Captain N. And then it would actually get weaker and have zero stars. <laughs> wow. Uh, having three stars would be the GameCube which you could then enhance to a four-star GameCube with Game Boy Player attached. Ah, nice. And then just you know, regular four stars would be the NES. Oh, wow. Pete, do you have an answer? Yours is so good, I just have to go with that. I don't even know if I can top that. All right, fair enough. That was well thought out. In that case, let us move on to our next letter, which comes from someone unrelated, but this is listener Joseph. And he writes, Hi, Power Pros. I'm a relatively new listener who is enjoying your show a lot. As a former subscriber to Nintendo Power, I eagerly look forward to each week's new podcast. Man, he must be high on lawn lawn milk. You do a great job, and I hope you keep up the good work covering all those games. I would like to humbly offer my own 2019 Top 10 for consideration. 10, 20XX. 9, Okami. 8, The World Ends With You, Final Mix. 7, Freedom Planet. 6, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, Torna the Golden Country. 5, Ease 8, Lacrimosa of Dana. 4, Octopath Traveler. 3, Valkyria Chronicles 4. 2, Mega Man 11. And number 1, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. That's a pretty good list, Joseph. Yeah, I agree. It is a fine list, especially those top three. Those seem perfect to me. Spoiler, those are the exact same three I picked. (laughs) Ah, now I see why you ran this letter. (laughs) Uh, But this does sort of bring up a good topic about, you know, why some games may or may not be considered for the list that we put together for our best of episode. Like, back when we were at Nintendo Power, we like wouldn't really include ports of older games when we were picking our best of the year list unless there was a really strong reason to. I mean, not that we expect everybody to adhere to our sort of arbitrary rules, but like, you know, we wouldn't include Freedom Planet in the discussion because it's basically identical to the Wii U version that came out a few years back. Right. On the other hand, something like Okami is so much better than the Wii version, it would certainly be a contender. Uh, That was a good choice, by the way, for your list, Joseph. Anyway, this isn't a criticism of what you picked. This is just an explanation as to why certain great games may or may not have been on our lists. Could also be because we didn't play them. But uh... <laughs> that could also be too. Yes, <laughs> but no, this is a very good list. 
Yep, indeed. All right, that takes care of the letters for this week. Why don't we close up the mailbag and then take an intermission before we discuss this week's big topic, which is... I'm going to have to stop you right there, Hoff. Wait, what? Why would you do that? Well, it's time to hassle the Hoff. Oh, okay. I should have expected that one. Okay, let's do it. What do you have for me this week? All right. Dear Video Game Professor Hoffman. Yes? What is your favorite beat-em-up on a Nintendo system? My favorite beat-em-up on a Nintendo system? Man, that's almost too easy. That's almost embarrassingly easy. <laughs> I mean, do I have to pick just one? Can I say Capcom beat-em-up bundle yeah. on the Switch, which has seven beat-em-ups in one? Cheater. <laughs> I mean, I was throwing you a softball. I didn't want you to just, like, you know, cream it. <laughs> well, there is, you know, such good options. But, I mean, ultimately it comes down to Final Fight. And Final Fight is included in the Capcom Beat'em-Up Bundle. It's also been included in many other forms. There is Final Fight on the Super NES. There is Final Fight 1 on the Game Boy Advance. But the best version is that one that recently came out on Switch as part of the Capcom Beat'em-Up Bundle. It's essentially an arcade-perfect port, so it has all the levels. It has all of the playable characters. It has two-player co-op. And it has, you know, excellent graphics and sound. And even after all these years, holds up very, very well. I mean, there are a lot of other great choices out there. I mean, you could say something like 3D Streets of Rage 2 on the 3DS, or maybe Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 4 Turtles in Time on the Super NES. But ultimately, Final Fight is my all-time favorite beat-em-up, so I'm just going to have to go with that one, specifically the version in Capcom Beat-em-up Bundle. Wow, you were really getting into it for a minute there. <laughs> yes, yes I was. I mean, that is certainly one of my favorite topics of discussion is polyrubbing punks into the concrete. <laughs> All right. Okay, well, you've got your answer. So in that case, let us take an intermission, and then when we come back, we'll discuss this week's big topic, which is the coolest-looking Nintendo systems. We are back, and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which is the coolest-looking Nintendo systems. Now, obviously, the best Nintendo system overall could be a very debatable topic, but we're not really talking about which system is overall the best. We're talking about which system actually looks the coolest. If you're just talking about the hardware itself, the system that sits on your shelf or in a drawer, which one is the most appealing? And of course... 
you know, that in and of itself is also a very subjective topic. <laughs> it, you know, what's cool to one person isn't necessarily cool to another. So this is a very, very personal opinion when it comes to which Nintendo systems look the coolest. That's right. It's the plastic shell that just kind of sits on your shelf. Yes, yes, exactly. And, you know, what makes it cool to me might not be the same thing that makes it cool to you. But nonetheless, that is our big topic for this week. So we are going to go down our personal lists of the coolest looking and then the least cool looking Nintendo systems that are out there. <laughs> so least cool. Yes, indeed. So let us get this show on the road. Pete, you want to start us out with your number five coolest looking Nintendo system? Put me on the spot here. <laughs> All right, Chris, I'll start. I think for number five, I'm going to go with the new Nintendo 3DS XL. Ah, okay. A fine choice for sure. How come? Yeah, I just thought it was a cool-looking system. You know, it's kind of symmetrical. It's got, you know, the round top, round bottom. I love those round bottoms. (laughs) Everything kind of hides in nicely. You got, you know, a nice little docking station for it that they made. Just when I see that console, it makes me happy. I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Nintendo has really nailed it pretty well with their handheld systems for, you know, the last several years. So I think almost anything you pick out of those handheld systems in the last decade or so is probably going to be a winner. So I certainly have no argument with this choice. They're all very uh, sleek and sophisticated looking, and uh, pretty much any of them would be uh, an excellent selection. Anyways, a very awesome-looking handheld. Indeed it is. My number five choice is the Game Boy Micro. Ah. You know, I really wanted to put this on my list. I just couldn't find a place for it. Now, I mean, I admit it does look a little bit like a harmonica, (laughs) but its diminutive size, its straightforward shape, its rounded edges, I think all make for a really great-looking product. And... Like I said, cool means different things to different people. And part of what makes this one so cool is it's just so darn cute. It is cute. (laughs) You know, I just want to take it and put it in my pocket because it's just so darn cute. Now, I don't actually really like playing games on (laughs) the Game Boy Micro because the screen is so tiny. And while, you know, that's technologically very impressive, I kind of want to have a bigger screen when I actually play a game. But that's beside the point. From a design standpoint... I absolutely love the Game Boy Micro, even if it didn't really fulfill that promise of the interchangeable faceplates. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, my number five pick, Game Boy Micro. Yeah, I actually love that it's just made out of metal. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely another cool thing about it, Mm -hmm, for sure. There aren't a lot of Nintendo uh, handhelds or consoles that are, you know, have that much metal on them. But yeah, the removable faceplates and all that, the, uh, you know, the Famicom version that came out in Japan. Yeah, and that one even came out here, as a matter of fact. You know, I thought they'd do, like, their own NES version here, but they didn't. They just released the Famicom one. (laughs) Yeah, I was always hoping that I'd be able to buy that one for, like, really cheap eventually. Like, I thought... They should have been selling the Game Boy Micro for like 50 bucks or something, and mm-hmm. they would have sold like wildfire. Totally. But they never did. They always stayed, you know, kind of high priced. Otherwise, I probably would have like, you know, a dozen of these things. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So maybe it's for the best. <laughs> yep. All right. Moving on to number four. For me, I have the Game Boy Advance SP. Oh, ah, okay. It's a good one, too. 
Yeah, this one, to me, I thought this was the initial clamshell design mm-hmm. for Nintendo's handheld. This predates the Nintendo DS, which, you know, obviously took that design and ran with it. But this was the first, well, ex- unless you count Game & Watch, I guess. <laughs> right, right. It did kind of, you know, this was the first one that kind of looked like a mini laptop for your Game Boy. Yeah, and it was really a huge step up over the original Game Boy Advance, I think. Yeah, I mean, especially when you consider that the original Game Boy Advance didn't have a light-up screen, and that was mm-hmm. probably the biggest detriment of the handheld at the time. Yeah, for sure. This remedied that, and it also made it, in my opinion, better in almost every way. The form factor felt really good. You could charge it while the system was shut and just kind of hanging out. I also thought it was cool with the front-loading cartridge. All around, just lots of cool design choices that you know ultimately kind of stayed with Nintendo for a while. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's definitely an appealing system. And uh, yeah, it did change the way that they presented handhelds for uh, a lot of years after that, for sure. I also thought some of their later, uh, you know, paint jobs on it were really cool. Yeah, that's true. One of my all-time favorites would definitely be the version with the uh, NES deco. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, definitely some cool stuff there. Cool. What about your number four? So my number four choice, I think, uh, you know, definitely stretches the limits of the word cool a little bit i'm going with the gamecube ah look at you i really thought about this one yeah i just you know i really like the look of this system it's compact it's colorful and it's fun i mean obviously it is as the name suggests very boxy in a lot of ways (laughs) but it's complemented by the circular designs on the lid and for the buttons, and that's a great contrast, the overall angular shape. Uh, plus, it's got you know, those four controller ports right there on the front. Yep. And you know, even though the handle, I mean, the handle is not a great design element, <laughs> but I really like what it represents. And so like between that and the four ports, this thing is just kind of screaming, look, this is a game machine. This is fun. Go plug this thing in and have fun right now. <laughs> and you know, on a personal level, I really like the color purple, so you know it just sort of uh, hit me on all the right levels, I think. So yeah, I'm going with GameCube. You know, it's funny. I think if I'd heard this like a few months ago, I wouldn't have agreed with you necessarily, but you know, recently I was at my mom's house uh, kind of clearing stuff out, and I saw that uh, I found my old GameCube, mm-hmm. and it was decked out with the Game Boy Advance player on it. Oh yeah, I still got mine attached. And then um, it also had the uh, you know the Ethernet adapter, oh, wow. which I bought for uh, to play Fantasy Star. That's about the only thing that worked with it, <laughs> as I recall. Yeah, so that makes sense. And I just liked how the Game Boy player kind of made you know the console almost like a perfect cube. Mm-hmm. So it's like its length times its width times its depth was all the same size. And uh, yeah, there is something really kind of cool looking about the original GameCube. Yes, or at least. If not cool, at least very, very charming. Indeed. All right, then. What is your number three pick? All right, well, number three, I think I'm going to go with the current console, Nintendo Switch. Ah, it's a great pick. Yeah, I think that this one, just it's the right console for the right time. When I first saw it, I just immediately thought, wow, that's a really cool design for Nintendo and and very forward-thinking in some ways. Kind of has a similar aesthetic to like a tablet. Mm Mm-hmm which, you know, is kind of what it's doing in some cases. But then you really are just sliding on these controllers and just the playful nature. I love that they've, you know, they've kind of 
hinged on that clicking sound when you slide the <laughs> yeah. controllers on and just all around i'm really pleased with my nintendo switch and i think every time i see it i think of like oh, i should pick it up and play it <laughs> yes yeah every time you you see it yeah that's kind of what it makes you want to do for sure that's a very good way to put it what kind of joy cons do you have by the way so i originally bought the black console with the black joy cons Okay. But then eventually I was like, you know what? I really liked those blue ones. I didn't want to have the combo where it's like one blue, one red. I just didn't like the look of that. Mm -hmm. But when I saw that they sold the blue Joy-Con separately, I bought those and I slipped them on and I've never looked back. Okay. Fair enough. What about you? Well, for my number three, I don't know. I'm kind of cheating a bit on this one because oh, I'm sort of combining a whole bunch of Nintendo's handhelds over the last several years into one like <laughs> i kind of want to go with the ds Lite because in some ways that was kind of i think the first step towards nintendo handhelds not looking like toys mm -hmm. but looking like you know actual modern high-tech electronics devices not just a simple toy That's a very good point you know, it looks really sleek really sophisticated but then you know that sort of evolved over the years into many other choices like you mentioned earlier the new Nintendo 3DS, XL, right, and uh, you know many other systems. You know the Nintendo DSi was you know very similar in a lot of ways too. Yep. So I kind of want to say the DS Lite because it was the first, but then I kind of want to say no, it's the new Nintendo 3DS because that's sort of the culmination <laughs> of all these ideas. Yep. And so I'm trying to really decide. You know which one is really my number three pick. I can't really choose, but. Yeah, the new 3DS has all these same, you know, sleek, sophisticated ideas, but also adds in some fun and playful elements with the interchangeable face plates and the color coding on the buttons. And so, you know, I can't decide between those two, but they're both very cool in their own special ways. I feel like you just cheated somehow. I definitely did. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't fault you. I, I kind of had similar thoughts when I was uh, putting this list together. There really is some overlap. And, uh, you know, I think it is hard to necessarily pin it down to exactly which one makes the most sense as far as coolest. Mm -hmm. And like I said, you know, like the newer ones couldn't have existed without those older ones. So you sort of kind of have to give it up for the, the first time those things are implemented. But also it's cool to see how they've been refined over the years, too. So, yeah, it's a tough choice. Tough choice to make. Well, if it makes you feel any better, for my number two, I picked Nintendo DS Lite. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it just, in, in a, many ways, it really was kind of the deciding moment where it's like, you know, Nintendo opted to go with something really stylish versus, mm -hmm. you know, sort of handheld looking for kids. And, you know, that never was a problem. I never, like, you know, was, like, self-conscious about playing my Game Boy Advance SP anywhere. Right, right, exactly. But at the same time, this really did make it feel a little bit more, I don't know, I, I hate to say mature, or maybe, maybe a little bit more um, sophisticated, I think is the word. Mm -hmm. And you almost wonder, that was around the time when uh, Brain Age came out and all that, you almost wonder if they definitely hit, like, a market they wouldn't have hit otherwise by having a console that looked... Uh, a little bit more sophisticated. Yeah, I'm sure it definitely helped. In particular, I thought the Navy one that they only released in Japan, at least in the initially, mm. I ended up buying that one and converting it to U.S. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, whenever I think about this one, the white one is always the one that stands out to me. Mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, regardless of the color, it is certainly 
a great looking system. That one got so uh, crusty after <laughs> after using it for too long. No, you got to keep it clean. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's a fair point. What about your number two? Uh, my number two is the Nintendo Switch. Oh, all right. Yeah, for many of the same reasons you stated, it is my number two coolest looking system. I mean, for obvious reasons, it is the most modern looking of Nintendo's hardware. Um, just having that big screen on that tablet-like piece of hardware mm-hmm. is very, very appealing. And I like the way that you know all of the buttons on that exact piece of hardware, you know, the power button and the volume and the cart slot and all that stuff are hidden away on the side. They're very inobtrusive. And then the Joy-Cons have a great form factor as well, just a great uh, feel and texture on the sticks and on the body of the Joy-Cons. And, you know, of course, there's that seamless integration with the dock. And while I admit that, you know, the dock itself kind of feels cheap, from a visual standpoint, I think it looks pretty darn okay. And the whole thing just, again, comes together as a system that sort of begs to be played and just, you know, looks cool when you see it there. It's just like, yeah, this is definitely a modern high-tech gaming machine. Yep, I can't argue with any of that. Okay, glad to hear it. All right, well, what do you think? Should we do number ones? Yeah, I think we should. Let's uh, put you on the spot and go straight to number one. (laughs) What do you got? Well, for number one, you know, I thought about this a lot, and I was really kind of wavering about uh, what I was going to pick, but ultimately... very curious. Ultimately, I really thought that the Nintendo Wii was possibly the coolest looking of Nintendo's consoles. That is a crazy answer, and it is the exact same answer I came up with. <laughs> you know, I didn't necessarily want to put it down, because you, when you think about the Wii, it definitely, you know, it probably wasn't the coolest console. You know, probably Switch probably takes that, if you know, just on a... Well, I don't know. I mean, visually, I think it is really, really great. I mean, it's sleek, it's compact, the small form factor is really appealing, and, you know, I just found it to be, you know, very straightforward and with a, you know, really mature color choice. So all that stuff, I think, add up to a really cool looking console. Totally. I mean, I think all the design choices they made with Wii was, was very thought out and very well, uh, you know, executed. In particular, I'm going to go even further and say that the black Wii mm. was really a cool looking piece of hardware. I like that you could stack it up. I like that you could lay it down. I remember, you remember Mr. Wada coming out and showing like the three DVD cases and saying like, this oh, is yeah, how yeah. big the console will be. It's like that. They actually delivered on that. I mean, it wasn't bigger than a car stereo, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, all in all, I, I just think it's a really cool looking system. Yeah, it still is. It still holds up. And the fact that it also had a lot of hidden features that were just sort of concealed by you know these doors and slots, like the four GameCube controller ports and the memory card slot, and just the way they're able to sort of you know hide that and you know still make the system look great, I think just made it feel really modern and high-tech and classy. And so, yeah, for that reason, I completely agree with you. Yeah, I even like the, there was a really small detail where like all the plugs looked like rectangles, but with like a corner notched out. Hmm, that's right. And, and I just thought that that little touch on everything was really cool and kind of added to the, the overall aesthetic. Well, I have to say, I'm really surprised that we both wound up with that exact <laughs> same answer uh, without discussing this at all beforehand. But yeah. uh, I guess if uh, two out of two... Power Pros editors make that pick. I guess it can't be totally wrong. <laughs> I guess not. All right, then. Well, let us move on then and now discuss the three least 
cool <laughs> Nintendo systems. Now, I almost think this is the fun part, right? <laughs> perhaps so, perhaps. I guess since I put you on the spot before, I should go first this time. Yeah, yeah, and good idea. And start with my number three least cool Nintendo system. And, you know, I feel bad picking this <laughs> to say it's least cool because I love this system, but I am going to go with the Super NES. Oh, wow. I mean, I love the system. I love the games. I even recently got the Super NES-themed uh, new 3DS XL. But, <laughs> I mean, you look at the actual hardware, and it's just kind of boxy and weird, man. Like, <laughs> it has these raised sections for what seems like no real reason. And the eject button is there and kind of pointless and flimsy. <laughs> and... You know, while I admit I really like the color purple, I'm just not sure it worked that well in this case and kind of seemed like a step backwards from the rainbow of the Super Famicom buttons. So as much as it pains me to say it, I'm going with the Super NES. Yeah, there really are a lot of weird design choices when you look at the Super Nintendo and just kind of think about it like not as a game console. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, it's got like those ridges around it. Right. Don't really make a ton of sense. And then like uh -huh. even the yeah, top, kind of forgot about the that. top has that part that sticks out, but it's rounded. So you can't even mm -hmm. like stack anything on it. <laughs> right. The, the whole thing just kind of is a head scratcher, really. Yes. Yes, it is. But yeah, you know, I didn't hate it quite as much as you. It's not on my list, but. Uh... Oh, hate it. It's just, <laughs> mm. Sorry, I'm making you feel bad. <laughs> you are, you are. I really, I love you, Super NES. Don't feel too bad. <laughs> okay, so what is your number three then? All right, I think I'm going to go with the uh, Nintendo 2DS. Ah, okay. Yeah, this puppy, you know, not to pick on it too much, because, uh, you know, I think a lot of people hated it just for the fact that it's a 2D version of the 3D <laughs> system. But, yeah, I kind of didn't like that it looked like a doorstep. It really, really does look like a doorstop. <laughs> I mean, I've literally like seen them on a table somewhere, and I was like, "What is that?" <laughs> like, it just it just is an odd design choice. It kind of reminds me of like when uh, Sony released the Batarang for the PS3 originally. Uh, <laughs> That's right. And you're like, "What is that?" Like, it just <laughs> didn't look like what you'd expect Nintendo to release for a handheld. Yeah, I mean, we've been saying that Nintendo's stuff has gotten, you know, sleeker and more sophisticated over the last several years. And then this thing came out and went, like, in the complete opposite direction. <laughs> like, let's make it colorful and bright. It looks like it was made by Fisher-Price. Right. It looks like you can just wedge it under the door there to prop your door open. Right. So, Throw it in the toy box. Go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yes, I can certainly see why you would make that choice. All right. What do you got for number two? My number two pick is the Virtual Boy. <laughs> I couldn't put it on this list. I'm, I'm too in love with <laughs> I it. I mean, you know, I think it's sort of self-explanatory. It's just chunky and unwieldy, <laughs> and you know, you're describing my ex-girlfriend. Never should have existed to begin with. Wow! Now you're really no. I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's just you know very uh, cumbersome and clunky, and yeah, I don't really wish anyone to actually have to play that system. Uh, of course, you know. Just like the interior, the exterior, all black and red, and I'm not in love with that either. So, yeah, Virtual Boy for me. See, I think in a weird way, the Virtual Boy looks awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just me. Okay, well, I don't really have any argument for that, but uh, to each their own, I shall say. All right, for my number two, I'm going to go with the redesigned NES. Hmm, okay, okay. 
Yes, the uh, top-loading NES. Yeah, that was kind of a, a weird mishmash design, too. Yeah, you know, I don't want to hate on it too much, but it really does just look real weird, especially if you grew up with the original NES. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's almost like they just took a bunch of random shapes and stuck them together, and it's like, here you are, it's done. It's got, you know, parts of it are rounded, parts of it are triangular, parts of it are square. Just shove them all together, and boom, you have a new video game system. Yeah, it almost looks like binoculars from Star Wars or something. Like, it's, <laughs> it's just like, it's like weirdly round on the top, and uh-huh. it's like kind of comes to a point in front, and but not all of it does, and... Mm-hmm. And then the yeah. and then the controller too. Don't even get me started. I mean, it's like, oh right, the dog bone controllers. Yeah, yeah, with like puffy buttons and I don't know, just just <laughs> yeah, not I like about that, not man. my cup of tea. It's a oddball looking system. You know, it does the top loading does make more sense. The original NES, you know, ultimately had its major problems with loading in the tray, mm-hmm. which they eliminated on this one. But uh, still, I just uh, don't like the look of this one. All right. Yeah, for some reason, I sort of have a soft spot for it myself, but uh, I can accept this. I can understand why entirely. (laughs) All right, then. I guess that takes us to my number one least cool piece of Nintendo hardware. Mm. Well, it's kind of anticlimactic because we've already discussed this one. I'm going with the Nintendo 2DS. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, for all the reasons we have discussed before, it just kind of looks like uh, a kid's toy. It looks like a doorstop. It does not look like the cool piece of hardware that it really could be. I mean, you know, the new 2DS, fantastic. But the original 2DS, uh-uh. like we said before, <laughs> looks like it belongs in the baby's room. So big pass on that one. It does look like it belongs in the baby's room. <laughs> Sorry, 2DS. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So my number one is kind of a rare one. It's kind of obscure. And if you blinked, you might have missed it. But uh I gotta go with the Wii Mini. Oh, okay. Yeah, to be honest, I remember the system, but I barely remember what it looks like. Yeah, I actually had to Google it to like totally remember and, and validate my choice, but uh, it's awful. It looks like a to-go box. <laughs> I mean, it looks like you would order food in that or something. It just, you know, it's kind of weirdly angular on the edges. It's just, there's nothing to me aesthetically pleasing about it. That's uh, yeah, kind of kind of crazy considering that the Wii was both of our choices for their coolest looking system, and then they uh, apparently went so far backwards with the Wii Mini. I mean, the thing I mostly remember about is that it lost a whole bunch of its functionality; like it couldn't go online anymore, yeah. and that was the reason I stayed far away from it. But uh, yeah, I guess if it uh, is that aesthetically unpleasing as well, that would certainly be another good reason to stay away. Yeah, now, I don't think I've ever actually even seen one in the wild, <laughs> but all mm. the pictures I've seen, it's pretty bad. Okay. All right. Well, I will take your word for it and uh, continue to stay far away from it. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> okay. And with that dubious honor being handed out, I believe that takes care of this week's big topic. And thus, it is pretty much time to wrap up this week's episode of the podcast. Mm. However, before we go, we do have time for one more thing, and that is, unsurprisingly, a dramatic (laughs) reading. Yeah, at this point, I'm not surprised. This time, it is from the pages of Nintendo Power Volume 7. It is an article on the Super Mario Super Show. You know them. You love them. You can't live without them. And now the world's most famous sibling plumbers are heading your way 
in a bright new television series. <laughs> it's called the Super Mario Brothers Super Show and should delight audiences of all ages. <laughs> the show is a combination live-action animated cartoon series. The live-action portion of the show is set in the basement of Mario's and Luigi's plumbing store in Brooklyn, and it centers around the brothers' whimsically bizarre escapades. <laughs> Special guest stars from the worlds of music, sports, and entertainment will be stopping by to share in the brothers' misadventures. The animation part of the series will remain faithful to the Super Mario Bros. game world and will basically pick up on the boys' adventures where the games leave off. The cartoons will expand upon the lore and richness of the <laughs> Super Mario Bros. universe <laughs> and should bring even more enjoyment to the games for loyal power players. The princess and Toad are sure to be on hand, as well as a mushroom or two and the not-so-friendly faces of Koopa and Wart. Mario and Luigi will be able to be seen Monday through Thursday each week. However, Friday's show will feature the exploits of Hyrule's favorite couple, Link and Zelda. <laughs> These cartoons will give fans a broader vision of Link and Zelda's adventures. Look for a moonlighting-type relationship between Link and the princess. Word has it that Zelda will be two years older than Link, and the age difference may set the stage for some problems for our young hero. <laughs> Link is also set to have a guardian mentor who believes that to magically save the pair would deny them character-building experiences. Naturally, Gen will be on hand to cause much grief to the fine citizens of Hyrule. <laughs> the show is under the direction of producer-director Stephen Binder and his team. They are the same group that brought you Pee-wee's Playhouse. <laughs> the animation is being created by the wizards at Deke, their past efforts include the Real Ghostbusters and ALF cartoon series. With the creators, producers, directors, animators, and writers all being tops in their fields, the results should be nothing short of spectacular. <laughs> the atmosphere of the show will be lighthearted, with irreverent comedy taking the spotlight. It is scheduled to appear on your very own television screen around the second week in September. Check your local TV listings for specific times and dates. Awesome. Wait, my very own television screen? Wow. That's right. Boy, I can't help but think that this is what they like pitch the networks with, <laughs> or pitch Nintendo with, I guess. Uh, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it certainly didn't end up being anything that uh, I would call nothing short of spectacular <laughs> or awesome. Yeah, it'll be great. We'll expand the lore of Super Mario Brothers and, <laughs> and Zelda. Like, what? No. Well, it's kind of funny. I mean, back then, to even think about, you know the richness and lore of those games, you know, it really didn't even exist back then. You know, everything was so simple right. back in, uh, you know, when did this come out? 1989 or whatever. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Little did they know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Live and learn, I guess. Yeah, it certainly is funny in hindsight. <laughs> indeed, indeed. All right, well, I think that does it for this week's episode. As always, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com and you can follow us at powerprospod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, The Hoff, on Twitter at ChrisTheHoff and you can find Pete at BurlyReadyEddy. You can email us at powerprospod at gmail.com and if you like the podcast, of course, it would be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, Pete Mashad. Well, excuse me, princess. And our personal bodyguard, Impa. Aww. We will see you next time.